Lord, it is a privilege to be able to come into your presence today in the midst of a busy schedule, in the midst of learning, in the midst of the stresses and strains of life, and even the great things that we're learning here and that we're, we're being able to be a part of out in, in the world as you use us as your people, Lord. But we come to you today and we honor you. You are the ancient of days, the beginning, the end of all that is. You are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as your people, we bow before you and give you praise and honor. We lift up your name, Father, who you are and what you've done has radically transformed our lives. And so, Father, we give you praise and we ask that you would teach us, uh, that you'd continue to develop us. Thank you that because of Jesus, you are willing to pour yourself into developing us every day of our lives. Thank you that you love us that much. And we just give this time to you and pray that uh, in, in some way you would meet us and you would be glorified. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. And uh, last time I spoke in chapel at Reform Seminary was in Maitland in a much smaller room. This is rather intimidating. Um, what a beautiful place this is. In fact, I want this for our church. Um, we're gonna to talk to the administration and see what we can do about that. Mark, would that be cool? Yeah, we can move this thing. Um, it's a privilege to be here. I, I was thinking about what am I gonna talk about with you? And I was thinking about discussing the synoptic problem with you this morning, uh, or maybe the language in Second Peter as it relates to Jude. I was thinking about that too. Or some of the exegetical considerations in um, oh, Ephesians 1, for instance. But well, now all those things are absolutely indispensable, but I thought I'd talk about something that was a little near and dear to my heart, and perhaps something that you might see on, a, on an everyday basis in the ministries that you're in and uh, that you will be doing, that you're in now, that you will be doing, and talk about the fatherhood of God. And, and while I hope that here we work a little bit more on um, the theological foundations and orthodox uh, formulations of the doctrine of the fatherhood of God, I hope that it not only becomes a doctrine, but becomes something near and dear to your heart while you're here at seminary. How many of you have seen the movie, That Great theological movie hook. Have you seen that? Isn't that great? How many have seen it twice? You have kids. How many have seen it three times? Good night. Uh, we don't have any awards for this, uh, but it's that kind of movie. It is one of those movies that the more you see it, the, the more you say, hey, there's a lot of stuff here. It is the high and holy topic of the retelling of what? Peter Pan. Now the story is put a little bit differently because, uh, because this time the kids are stolen away by Captain Hook and they're brought to Never Never Land and, uh, and, and Hook is trying to get Peter Pan who is Peter Panning, Robin Williams, and they're trying to, get, trying to get him to come back and fight the last great battle with Captain Hook. Peter Pan's forgotten who he is. He's a workaholic father. And so the movie is all about uh, 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 this great battle that's going to take place. There's one scene when Hook, and Dustin Hoffman does a great job. He is as dastardly as you can get, right? He is so bad. He gets to this point, he's treating the kids bad, and the little girl turns to him and says what? You're a bad dad. No, not exactly. Turns, turns to him and says, he needs a mother, right? What? Well, and that's a great line, but 
But my experience in the ministry, and uh, I think you can bear this out from statistics, would say that, that we really probably ought to reformulate that whole thing. Not that Captain Hook needed a mom, but Captain Hook needed a dad. That's what, Captain Hook was underfathered. That's why he was such a mess. That's why he was the way he was. How, how, how important are men? How important are fathers in our lives? At a, at, you know, bottom line, we know that unless you have a father, you're not going to get here. And uh, fathers are absolutely important. Let me give you some statistics about this. Children with fathers are twice as likely to stay in school. Did you know that? Boys with dad and mom at home are half as likely to be put in jail regardless of their parents' in, regardless of their parents' income or educational level. According to a Men Against Domestic Violence survey, 85% of youths in prison come from fatherless home. There, there is not a social problem that you will see out there in the ministry, out there in the world, that cannot be directly related to the issue of fatherlessness in American culture. Girls 15 through 19 raised in homes with fathers are significantly less likely to engage in premarital sex. 76% of the teenage girl surveys said their fathers are very or somewhat influential over their decisions regarding sex. I could go on. I mean, I could be here for an hour telling you the statistics. But in 1999, Americans were surveyed and they came to the conclusion that the single most significant social problem in America at that time in 1999 was fatherlessness. And um, Captain Hook needed a father. He needed a father. And the people that you and I minister to in our culture today are by and large underfathered. And that's who you're going to come in contact with in the ministry. Victoria Secunda, in her book, she's not a Christian, in her book, Women and Their Fathers, talks about the near universal father hunger that women experience in our culture. Uh, Robert Bly, in his book, Iron John, came out years ago uh, talking about the father wound. What we experience so much as people in this culture are the father wound, the father hunger, and it affects the church. It definitely affects the church. In fact, you could study the whole subject of the fatherhood of God, but I'll tell you this, the way you understand the fatherhood of God will be seen through the lens of your earthly father experience. As objective as we are in seminary, as the, and if I were Steve, I could get very deep at this point. My voice is not that deep. I prayed. I want you to know I prayed that God would give me that voice. He hasn't. But, it, but it's very important to understand that, that our, our theological lens is clouded by our earthly father experience. And how you approach all of your theology, all of your exegetical studies are based on your earthly father experience. I believe, trust me on this, your view of God is determined by your earthly father experience. Did you hear the story of the teacher who uh, was given a math quiz and she said to one little boy, she said, what, 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 would, what would you have if you had one dollar and your father gave you another? And the little boy said, I'd have one dollar. She said, you don't know your math very well. And he said, you don't know my father very well. <laughs> And the reality is, is that, is that your view of your father affects your view of God. And, and I believe that it's so important that when we, in seminary, I wish I'd had somebody point this out to me because it affected my whole life as a, as a pastor. In fact, your view of God, if you, if you can picture with me a square cut into, into quadrants, 
In the upper left uh, picture, and of course that's the upper right for you, but in the upper left, if you would picture being raised in a Christian home above the midline, you're raised in a Christian home in the upper left with a positive father experience. Some of you are in the upper right quadrant and you were raised in a Christian in a church with a negative father experience. And it's along the spectrum, isn't it? You know, something from a 10 down to a one. 10 being the best kind of father experience you could ever have. Below the midline, you have in the, uh, in the far left, you were raised in a, in a pagan home with, um, with a good positive father experience in the far right pagan home without a, a positive father experience. The reality is, is that you will approach life differently. You will approach ministry differently. You will approach the people you minister in a very diff different way. And it's absolutely crucial as we go into ministry. I wish I'd known this when I first started out. I wish I'd known how important my view of my heavenly father was when I went into ministry. Now, with that said, let's get to the text. And by the way, sometimes I do uh, communication labs here, and I never encourage you to do that long of an introduction before you get to the text. So the homiletics profs, you need to know that. Do a short introduction and get into the text, but sometimes it happens. The, the text I have for us is 1 John 1, 1 through 4. A very familiar text, a very simple exegetical text. When I took Greek in seminary, this was where we did all of our exegesis. Dr. Mawinney, do you, do you use 1 John or do you get something more difficult? Something else. I like that, I think. At any rate, we love this because it was so simple to do the Greek from, and it's still simple. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to, to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have, that's, that's, the, uh, uh, that's the hina with the subjunctive indicating purpose. They got it. They got it. So that, here's the purpose of this whole phrase. So that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Just a couple of simple truths. One. The purpose of the incarnation was to reestablish relationship, wasn't it? The reason Jesus came was to do what, what, and this is the simple gospel, to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. What he came to do was to fulfill the law for us. We call that the active obedience of Christ. And then he came to, to, to passively suffer on our behalf, to take our punishment. But the whole purpose of it was to reestablish relationship. Who? With our Savior with one another, but also in the text, with our heavenly Father. What I see in the church today, and I heard the word here already as we came in this morning, the word community. Everybody wants community. I see it in our church. We're dying for community. We're dying for relationships. And we want it with each other. And yet the reality is that the quality of our community with each other is determined by our quality of our fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And I think it is so important for us not to forget in the midst of a culture, a day and age that wants community and I want community and you want community, but 
we can't forget that the primary sense of community is that we have got to have a relationship with the Father. We need a relationship with our Heavenly Father. I wear this ring and it's, um, uh, it's, it looks gaudy, but it's really not. It's, it's, just, it's just sterling silver. It's an old ring. And this stone, I don't know, my, I found it in my father's stuff. He died two years ago. And, um, and so I went to the jeweler and he cleaned it up for me and he sized it for me and he put this black stone in because it's, well, if you look closely at it, and I have a hard time doing that now, but it's, it look, it's down at the very base, you see that it's United States Marine Corps ring, which my dad had in World War II. The problem is in World War II, uh, my dad was in the army. And I, and I, and, I, and this ring serves for me as we, I know it's kind of like, what is up with that? And I look at this and I wear this ring because it reminds me that I have, from my father experience, I have so many questions. Why did he do with me what he did in the way he did it? Or why didn't he do with me what he didn't do in the way he didn't do it? Why? What's the deal? Um, and you may have had a great earthly father experience, but I'll tell you this, without a father, we don't know who we are really as people. Look at the reality that it is the father who establishes the sexual identity of, of both the male and the female. Um, look at the impact. Look at the, look at our culture. Look at the gangs. Why are, why are there gangs, fatherlessness? <laughs> Almost isn't a social problem you can find without linking it to fatherlessness. What are, what are your issues? What was your father experience? You bring that with you into the ministry. Do you have questions? Do you have, do you have a hunger? Do you have a wound? Do you have an emptiness? I'll tell you, I, I would be dead without the men in the church I grew up in being sort of fathers to me. My Sunday school teachers, I had a bunch, a million women. And I only remember the guys. Bob Cavan, he used a $50 bill. He passed it around once and all of us little guys were passing. He didn't get that $50 bill back until the end of the, of the Sunday school time. And he used it as some kind of illustration, but he loved us little guys. I remember the cop who taught the Sunday school class. And when we were wiggling all over the place, it was the man who loved Jesus, who helped me see that you could be a man and love Jesus. I don't know what I'd do without Steve Brown. He's been been a mentor to me, a father in the faith, a friend. You know, how, you know what Howard Hendricks said at that other seminary out west, Dallas Seminary? He said, he said that he spent most of his career as a seminary prof validating the manhood of his students. But the reality is, is whatever ministry we go into, male or female, we need to know the role of our father in our life. You need to know that. I encourage you to pursue that in the midst of um, memorizing Hebrew vocabulary and getting the nuances of grammar and all of that stuff. I loved it. It was fun. My body shut down when I took Hebrew. I want you to know it was the hardest thing I ever did. But I wish I'd left seminary with a little bit more of a sense that I need to know what's going on in here about my father so that I wouldn't take that into my ministry. And I did. I used the church to feel good about myself for the first many, many years of ministry. I was a pastor to feel good about myself. Why? I had a wound. <laughs> I was empty. And somewhere along the line, because of the gospel, it became clear 
that God wanted to be my father. And because of, of the grace that I came to see was real and powerful and unconditional, I saw that God wanted to be my father, would be my father. Most of my ministry has been trying to enjoy that relationship and relax in it. In the face of elders who disagree with you, staff members who get messed up in sin, congregations who are fighting over what is the proper form of worship, um, and all the other stuff, coming to see that ultimately I was a son. You are sons, you are daughters. And out of that relationship, you get to serve him. It's a privilege. So we got to remember from this text that, that the essence of what Christ came to do was to reestablish the relationship. And then, and then secondly, to understand that your father is an intentional father. He never falls in to fathering you well. He never kind of slips into it. Who are some of the fathers in the media today that are stand out to us as those fathers, you know, that are out there? Homer Simpson, one of my personal favorites. Uh, what a godly guy, huh? Great father. Who, what other fathers are out there? Who? Ray, oh yeah, Ray Romano. Yeah, right, 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 right. Who else? Anybody? Tim Allen. Tim Allen. I'm glad you brought him up because that's where I was going to. Tim Allen. Is he a good father? No. It, Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. <laughs> the quintessential. Yeah, there it is. It's, I've got a clip from him. I want you to learn. No. Tim Taylor. Here's the deal with Tim. He, he's a moderately good father, right? But he sort of kind of falls into it, doesn't he? He kind of backs into being a, he's a relatively good father. He's not the worst one out there. He backs into being a good father. Your heavenly father never backs in to being a good father. He never kind of slips into it. He is intentionally the best father you could ever have. Jesus came to establish that relationship. Um, and until you have confidence in that fatherhood of God, it will be so difficult for you to stand strong. To know that it's okay to take a position that others in the church are not necessarily for. To know that after a meeting that you got beat up uh, in, um, it's okay. Because you're still a daughter. You're still a son. And your church needs that from you. I'm 47 and I feel like I'm 20, but the gray hair gives it away. One thing that's good about it is that I'm beginning to feel like it's okay for me to be a father to my people. That's, and I hate that. In one sense, because it makes me feel old, but in the other sense, it makes me feel like that's how I should relate to them. In a sense, if you are fathered well, you can father not only your kids well, but you can lead a flock. Fight Club. Remember that movie? Fight Club. One of the greatest lines in the whole movie is this. Our fathers were models for God. If our fathers bailed, what does that tell you about God? You have to consider the possibility that God does not like you, never wanted you. In all probability, he hates you. We don't need him. We are God's unwanted children. And that's exactly how a lot of people in your churches will feel. And they will want so much to understand grace and they will so much want 
God to love them, but it'll be hard. And you can model it if you allow the fatherhood of God to be real and not just the doctrine. So I want to just encourage you to, while you're here, look at the stuff. Examine what your father experience did for you or to you. And some of you are great. Some of, my, some of my close friends are way ahead of me in life because they have that real strong, good father. Uh, but deal with your stuff and even grieve it. This is the time to, to grieve what you didn't get if you didn't get it. And it's a time then because of the gospel to move to the father and say, would you father me well? How does that work? And help me not only to know that you love me, but to feel it, to experience it. I think as we interact with him and his word, he makes that real. Um, well, that's it. I found out I was using the church and what I really needed was a father. And so now I don't have to use the church, although I do sometimes. I don't have to use the church to meet my needs, even though I do sometimes, but less and less. And more and more, I can be a father. Take it to heart. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message was a reminder that God's not mad at you. For more free and freeing sermons and articles like this, be sure to check out the rest of the app or visit us at keylife.org. Thank you.